Uh, you know, part of the challenge that we have as health officers and physicians in the community and physicians everywhere is we are learning every day about this disease. Um, where some are saying that it's not real because we're changing what we're saying. Um, we're saying it is real and we're learning as we go, right? This, this disease is new since November of last year, right? This is a brand new disease. Uh, and it would be unrealistic to have the expectation that we knew everything about it uh, from day one. You know, as this coronavirus pandemic unfolded across the country and around the world, uh, I think there was always this sense of, will it come here? And I think a lot of people felt it, it wasn't if, uh, but when. And what we've started to see recently is that it, it's starting to come to our area. Uh, cases in Crawford County and the four states area have dramatically increased over the last month. And we're, we're starting to really feel like we're in this time now that it's it's certainly made its way to to where we live. So um, what we need to do is, is all be diligent and talk about it and figure out how we're going to deal with this the best way. And that's the, the theme and the topic for Around the Block uh, on this episode is talking to two uh, health experts, local health experts of what's going on, what's the real situation look like, and how are we going to move forward from here? And uh, yeah, I think that there's this sense that I think a lot of us thought for the longest time there only was eight cases in Crawford County, and, and we thought maybe we, we had this sort of false sense of security that we could be immune from this thing that obviously knows no borders or, or uh, no political <laughs> distinctions, and it's uh, it's something that, that spreads uh, in the way viruses do. And this pandemic has uh, not left us untouched. And so um, we've had a substantial increase here. And, and really, this is part of our effort to keep everybody informed. Because really, uh, I'm confident that this is a community, this is a county that has, that has demonstrated itself to be have resilience and has demonstrated that we have the capacity to be able to make the right decisions and choices that are informed uh, to do the things for our community. So today on uh, Around the Block, we'll have a discussion with Dr. Tim Stebbins, who's uh, Crawford County Public Health Officer, and Dr. Linda Bean, who is serving as the Deputy Public Health Officer. Uh, the two of them were just recently sworn in uh, to those offices uh, for Crawford County. We're really pleased to have them on the show and to have a conversation uh, about the pandemic and what is happening uh, with regard to it for us locally and not to get distracted by the national side of this, to think about what do we need to do uh, as members of Crawford County community uh, to make sure that we contain the spread and keep our economy open. Yeah, and, and I think the key on all of this is to make sure that we're listening to the health experts. And that's why we wanted to have this conversation. If we're going to get through it and we're gonna uh, try to keep the numbers down and, and keep them flat and not have a, a, an increased spike continuously so we can keep things open, uh, we're all in this together. So very excited to have this conversation today. All right. So let's go around the block with Dr. Tim Stebbins and Dr. Linda Bean. Okay. I want to welcome Dr. Linda Bean and Dr. Tim Stebbins to Around the Block. Appreciate the two of you taking the time to meet with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, Dr. Uh, Stebbins and Dr. Bean represent the uh, uh, Public 
health officials for Crawford County. They're both recently sworn in by the Crawford County Commission, uh, Dr. Stebbins as the uh, public health officer for the county and Dr. Bean as the uh, deputy public health officer. Did I get those titles right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, so I think the first question actually is uh, probably tell us a little bit about yourselves, this role, and then also kind of like what's your day jobs uh, also, if you want to throw that in there as well. Sure. Uh, so uh, I uh, function in two main jobs, two main arenas. Uh, I'm the medical director for the emergency department for Ascension Via Christi Hospital in Pittsburgh and Fort Scott. So I'm over both emergency departments. And then I also function as the administrator and medical director for Crawford County EMS. Uh, my background is in emergency medicine with uh, board certifications in emergency medicine and as an EMS physician. Um, and I've been here for 10, a little over 10 years now, functioning um, in the emergency department and then pretty quickly in the EMS realm. And two weeks ago, now a public health officer. <laughs> <laughs> probably a job you never thought you'd be uh, you'd be aspiring to. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we we kind of both of us kind of do this anyway, right? In our in our positions, um, uh, we're intricately involved uh, involved in the the pandemic as it is, just because of the population that we see or the access um, that we give to the population, and so uh, we both are in that realm. Uh, I didn't ever think that I would be assigned or sworn in as the public health officer for sure. Right. Um, but I, I, I think it actually fits well for both of us with what we do. Dr. Bean. And um, well, I am Dr. Bean. I'm a family practice doctor. I've been uh, with community health for 15 years now. I started at community health right out of residency, um, started as a medical director, and now serve as the chief clinical officer um, and continue to do hospital work, um, a little bit of outpatient clinic, uh, but mostly administrative and have had the opportunity throughout this pandemic to kind of lead our organization on best practice and um, all of that surrounding COVID. So I've had the good fortune of being able to participate along the way with the other community partners. Um, and so I think kind of like, like Dr. Stebbins says, kind of seemed like a, a natural fit for him and I to start as the health officers and and be able to help fill that need at least through this pandemic time right i'll, I'll tell you both that, uh, as far as my interaction on this has gone i obviously your your predecessor rebecca adamson who still is with the uh Crawford county public health department um i worked was working closely with her early on and throughout and obviously we did a couple of town halls and and then as we launched the Crawford county recovery task force she was integrally part of that and then when she decided to step down, I will, I just have to tell the two of you, the, the, it was like this unanimous sort of this consensus of all the folks that, that really were key in that saying, oh my gosh, if we can get Dr. Stebbins and Dr. Bean to do this together, this will be like the dream team for us. And so um, you have a lot of fans out there and um, 
including Representative Mernan, who I think is very proud of the fact that she was involved in hiring you, Dr. Bean. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she says, yeah. But, uh, you know, I would just like to say that I think Dr. Sebbins and I both worked very closely with Rebecca through all of this and think she's done a fantastic job and, and glad that she, we can still continue to work with her because she has a wealth of knowledge as far as all of this that I think we all work very well together. She's been a, an amazing resource for our county. Um, especially as this um, pandemic kicked off, but even before that as a, as a public health officer and, and leader of the public health department. Um, and the fact that she's continuing with us um, is a significant asset for us as, as physicians and for our community overall. So yeah, she's, she does an awesome job. she's an asset uh, to, the, to, our, to our county for sure. Uh, so Dr. Stebbins, you, you have some experience in, uh, I guess you could say like medicine under fire, right? I mean, you military background, correct? I do. And I have, I have never been to the desert. I've never been significantly deployed, although, uh, I had 28 years of experience in the military, uh, both enlisted and as an officer. So, uh, I came up as a helicopter mechanic initially. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, became a licensed practical nurse and then uh, switched over uh, to the officer corps as a physician as I completed med school. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen a, uh, I've been a, a part of that for a majority of my adult, well, certainly adult career. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly has helped shape me to who I am today. I imagine that'll help also with uh, as you're dealing with pandemic that you never thought you would be in a role that you are in. So uh, that's a really great background to have. Adapt and overcome is uh, one of our mantras. And uh, I guess we're living that today. It's <laughs> true. Uh, all of us sort of every day. Yep. Uh, so guys, I think I, before we get into the specifics of what's happening here locally, uh, obviously we are here to talk about COVID-19 and everything involved with this pandemic. Um, obviously, there's a lot of discussion and debate about a lot of things, including masks and, and whether we should wear them or not. But one of the first things I want to ask you is to lay a foundation. This might sound like a loaded question, but I think it's important. How much should people care about this? I mean, how serious is this, the, not the overall situation locally, but COVID-19 itself? Because as you guys know, there's a lot of debate out there that this isn't a big deal. It's not affecting that many people. Like the percentage of people who are getting terribly sick is pretty low, um, which I think sometimes that attitude leads to people being a little blase about masks and social distancing. So maybe from, from your standpoint, how serious should people be taking this? Well, you know, I think we both um, have been looking at this, you know, since the start of all of it. And, you know, as physicians, we really want to look at this, you know, not so much with emotion, but with science. And um, we don't have the advantage of knowing exactly what to expect expect from this because this is an ever-changing situation. And we have to look at the impact um, of our community, but also the health of the people that we're taking care of. And, you know, I think Dr. Stebbins and I both feel that this is very important for people to take seriously. The good thing is that a lot, 
great majority of people that become infected with COVID-19 will recover and do just fine. But it is a very unusual virus that some people can have it and not have any symptoms and other people it can be devastating and they can spend weeks in the hospital or even pass away from it. And so there are things that we can do to help the most vulnerable and that's what we need to take seriously. Yeah, the young kids um, that are out and about, uh, it may not affect them so significantly. Although we do have cases of 20 and 30 year olds that are dying from this. Um, and uh, there's, there's no 100% on this. Um, but the problem is uh, that community that doesn't get so sick brings it to the community that does, their parents and their grandparents. Uh, where it's devastating, especially if you have other other disease processes going on, like heart disease or diabetes, um, hypertension, if you're obese, um, these things significantly increase your risk of uh, significant illness or death. Uh, and we're trying to prevent the spread to them. Uh, although the hard part of that is we're impacting those that aren't so susceptible to protect those that are. Uh, and that's the word that we got to get out. You're not, maybe not protecting you. You're protecting your mom and dad and your grandma and your grandpa or your friends, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And, and um, it is an important and it is a significant disease in that respect. Uh, and, and give us an overview of how things are here locally. Uh, obviously, we've seen a, a substantial increase in the number of cases lately. Just kind of uh, give us a real life look at what's happening right now in Crawford County. Well, in, in Crawford County, um, two to three weeks ago, we definitely saw a, a large increase in the number of positive cases. Um, you know, through all of this since March, um, we've really had very few, in Southeast Kansas in general, we've had very sporadic few cases that were identified and isolated and, and not significant spread. And I, I believe that we were doing enough testing to be pretty confident that we really didn't have it in the community. Um, and then at the beginning of June, uh, we definitely saw an increase. Um, and yes, we started testing more, but we started testing more because we identified um, a, a specific area where um, it was high risk for spread. And so um, we tested a large population and found a lot of interesting things as a result of that, not only um, symptomatic people that were positive, but also asymptomatic people that were positive and just um, helped to kind of solidify the things that we know that people can spread it and not know that they have it or before they know they have it. Um, and so we definitely saw a large increase all of a sudden. And since that time, we have seen less of that, but continue to have a, a slow increasing number. Now, over the last five days, we've only increased 17 positives, um, where we were 20s and 40s before that. Uh, so that's good. That shows some flattening, some uh, decreased spread within the community. Um, but I don't think it's over yet. Uh, you know, part of the challenge that we have as health officers and physicians in the community and physicians everywhere is we are learning every day about this disease, um, where some are saying 
that it's not real because we're changing what we're saying. Um, we're saying it is real and we're learning as we go, right? This, this disease is new since November of last year, right? This is a brand new disease. Uh, and it would be unrealistic to have the expectation that we knew everything about it uh, from day one uh, and how it's going to affect all the different populations around the world. Uh, and so we're still learning today how that affects us. You know, sorry, Sean. Well, I was just going to say, and I think probably an important point on that, a couple of things. I want to talk a little bit about what the key, so there are metrics other than positive cases that I know you guys are tracking and we know are important. So we want to explore some of those. As with regard to the confirmed cases, I think, Dr. Stebbins, you mentioned that we, you know, you could argue that we've seen, I don't know if I want to call it flattening, but there's, it's the, the rate of increase is lower right now than it was two weeks ago. Right. But of course, if you go back three weeks or a month ago, we only had eight cases and and now 263 and, and, but for that one cluster, which produced, probably close to 200 of the 263. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, a month ago, it would have been a little bit jarring to us to think that even in a five-day period, we had 17 because we only had eight. And right. so I think there's a, there's a, there's a, I think that that probably also highlights the challenge with just looking at confirmed cases as the only thing people are, are thinking about. Yeah. Confirmed cases aren't necessarily what's important overall to us. Um, what really is important is the impact on the medical system. Um, and, and really what that means is how bad are people getting the disease, right? Um, if we're having a few cases that just need some oxygen for a few days and they go home, uh, honestly, that's a bad cold and we're less concerned about it. What happens though is if we end up with a bunch of cases that are requiring significant ventilator support and significant medical resources, and it gets to the point that we can't manage that, then it has a significant impact on the community, both because of the patients that we're seeing and because of the patients, the other patients that we needed to see with regular, regular, I say in open close quote, uh, disease processes, heart disease, COPD, diabetes, high blood pressure, pneumonia from other causes, you know, all of those other things that we've got to try to work together with. Um, And then the other metric really is death rate. That's what, you know, uh, that's the final impact, right? Um, And thankfully, those two metrics to this point so far, um, we've been doing okay with. Uh, we have only had one death in the county. It was very early on, one of the first cases, as a matter of fact. And the medical impact up to today, we have been doing okay. We do have some concerns uh, about the future of this because we know that people are getting the sickest really at that 10 to 14 day mark. And that's where we're at in this big spike. And so we're watching daily, multiple times daily to see where we're at on that. That's, and that's the hospitalization. And I guess that the, the key metric that's, that I guess we usually are looking at to, to assess the strain on the hospital system or what the impact is on the public health system is the hospitalization number. And, uh, it sounded this morning in our task force as if there has been a pretty substantial increase in that 
which is a little seems a little strange probably to some people when they say, oh, well, we've had a decline in cases, but how are we having an increase? And so it sounds like from what you're saying that it's that there's a lag. That's a lagging indicator because it takes a while. Uh, you said 10 to 14 days usually. Right. Is that from symptom onset? Or from testing. So again, we tested, you know, a, a pretty large group of people at the beginning of June, many of whom were asymptomatic and developed symptoms later. So, um, you know, in, in some people, they develop symptoms later and then worsen. Others had symptoms and continue to get worse. And so some, some of that is a lag just since the time of diagnosis. But the other concern for us to look at is as even if there is a slowing of the spread, if it gets to a vulnerable population, um, those people can become more and more sick. So we have to look at um, how the hospitals are affected by the population, um, not just the number of positive cases in the community. And I think this would be a good time to, to mention, um, I can certainly speak for the hospital. I think Dr. Bain can see, speak for community health. Um, understanding the challenges that we have with managing those that are positive for COVID, I don't want that to overshadow uh, the need to still protect and take care of the rest of the community for all of their other medical problems. When we initially went on the statewide um, stay-at-home order, uh, both facilities saw a significant decline in the number of patients that we saw. Um, and that concerned us as much for uh, the medical health of the community as COVID-19 does, in that those that need to seek care still need to seek care and understand that we have processes in place at both of our institutions to protect non-infected patients from the infected patients, right? We have, we've segregated, separated, we have um, safety protocols in place so that we can still adequately care for all those that are in need. And we don't want you to not seek care because of worries about COVID-19. Very important. I don't want you to die from a heart attack because you didn't come in, right? I don't want you to have significant um, prolonged debility from a stroke because you were worried about COVID-19. If you're having those symptoms, you need to seek care. Please, I implore you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, um, not only from the emergency side, but from the primary care side Absolutely. too. And that is something because, you know, diabetes doesn't go on pandemic watch. I mean, it's still there and, and people can have significant repercussions if that goes unmanaged for any length of time. High blood pressure, immunizations for kids, um, all of those things are still really, really important for us to focus on in the healthcare system, as well as for patients to continue to, to get care from. And so, like Dr. Stebbins says, you know, um, most of the medical com community has put into place measures that will protect people and allow them to still come get their routine health care and, and urgent care as well. Yeah, I did, I did feel at some point that um, COVID became the only disease in the world, it seemed, the way we talk about it. It seemed like the perception was this is the only thing out there and everything else can take a back seat for a second. But yeah, very, very good points that you can't you can't let these other things go. Please don't let them go. Yeah. Uh, and so talking about, you know, you talked about how to protect people who are coming to the hospital and coming to see their their doctor. 
moving ahead, generally protecting each other out in the community, uh, obviously there's a big debate about, uh, I say a debate, there's obviously some people who don't believe wearing masks help or they just don't wanna wear masks, um, social distancing, all these things that seem inconvenient. Uh, but let's talk about as we move forward from this period and, and make sure we are protecting as many people as possible, why social distancing and masks work, how they work and why people should truly consider utilizing them. So uh, I said this at the commissioner meeting the other day and I'd say it here uh, with respect to mass social distancing and hand washing. Um, I, you know, I just ask, save yourself first so we don't have to save you later. Um, it's, you know, these, these simple items that do affect our day-to-day -day lives. I mean, it's not easy to wear a mask. I do it 12 hours a day. Um, I actually do it more than that, depending on where I'm at. Um, the, you know, the social distancing and, and the hand washing, these simple steps can prevent spread of the disease um, and can prevent you getting the disease um, and, and, and stop this whole deal. Because what we don't want is we don't want sick people. We don't want sick people spreading the disease and we don't want uh, medical impact or economic impact related to that. And, you know, it, simple measures uh, can save a life and it's yours. Yeah, and I feel like what you're saying there too, something that uh, Dr. Bean, I want your thoughts as well, but I think the on the economic side, no one wants to see complete lockdowns again. No one wants to see restaurants and shops close and schools close. And I, it does it does seem like if we would all adopt these measures and wear masks and help limit and the social distancing, distancing and hand washing, if we if we would do these things to limit the spread, we can have somewhat normal lives, right? We can we can have our things open and we can go out and eat and we can go shopping and we just might have to adjust our behavior a little bit. Um, while this thing's still going around. Well, and I think, you know, that Dr. Stebbins and I have said from the beginning of this or the two weeks that we've been yeah. doing this is <laughs> that, you know, our, our goal really is, is we want to try to live with this as best we can because it, it is here and it is probably to stay and we do need to figure out how we can um, continue to live a normal life and our kids can continue to live a normal life and, and, um, not have to, you know, restrict businesses and all of that. And even though, despite our best efforts, you know, transmission can still happen and masks aren't 100% and all of that, nothing is 100%, but it can significantly reduce the chance of transmission. And if we can do that enough that we can continue to keep businesses open and we can, you know, continue to, to be involved in extracurricular activities and all of those things, that's what the goal is. We don't, nobody wants to have to go back to, lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it actually, in some ways, you know, as we've uh, on the task force uh, uh, that we all have the, I have the pleasure of serving on with you guys and, and uh, some key stakeholders and community leaders, you know, one of the things we've been talking a lot about is the notion of we'll soon be hopefully uh, rolling out this uh, Crawford County United uh, campaign and the Crawford County United promise or pledge for businesses and such to, to, to uh, commit to certain basic things. And so, it sounds to me like it's it's thing it's these basic things: uh, wear a mask, distance, uh, socially distance whenever possible, uh, wash your hands, uh, have some caution with how you much you travel or where you travel, 
Um, what else should we really be thinking about when we're thinking about those core things? Is, is that the full set of things? I think a really big thing is making sure that we are kind of aware of what's going on in our own body. And if we have any symptoms whatsoever that we are not going to work and we're not going out um, if we have symptoms, because again, it can be pretty mild symptoms and it can be a wide variety of things that, you know, um, may seem like no big deal because we've worked through it before. Um, but again, you know, that if you are symptomatic and out and about, the chance of spreading it is much greater. Yeah, and on the employer side, um, it's hard as you try to run a business uh, if you have employees that are out. Um, and, you know, I, I think we get it. Um, but, you know, th there's got to be, you, you got to, we, we need everybody to have open communication regarding illness. Um, if an employee is ill, don't have them at work. You know, the last thing you want as an employer, as a business, is to have a hot spot in your in your facility because ultimately that could end up shutting you down for time and that can have you know devastating economic impact. Um, and so you know pay attention, uh, be cognizant, uh, be open to the employees talking to you about you know illnesses and um, you know we can protect everybody that way. Yeah, it seems like a, a little bit of a, it's almost like, uh, you know, I often think about how, how bad most of us are probably at the preventative care anyway of ourselves, you know, so right. we're not great at making sure all the time that we're eating right or that we're exercising those sorts of things. This is almost like that uh, a sort of preventative care on a, on a, on a population basis. So I mean, it's like everybody, if we all try to like uh, sort of as a whole uh, community, uh, practice some of that preventative care, it, it could be a significant impact on ability for us to stay open and, and, uh, yeah, it's just taking care of each other. You know, that's, we're all, we're all in this together. We just got to work to take care of each other. Um, so as we look ahead here at about a month and a half, you know, we're, we're bringing students back to Pitt State's campus and we're getting K-12 back into the buildings and we're sort of, uh, I guess, trying this experiment of going back to school uh, after a few months after we, we shut them down and everybody went home. What, I guess, what are you guys looking for as we get into the fall and how will we know how things are going? And just do you have any general, general thoughts on, on what this fall could bring? That's not loaded at all. So. <laughs> What's going to happen? An easy one. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to let Dr. Bean take this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and we may be able to answer that more even in the, in the coming weeks um, as we see more what happens um, in the hospitals with this current situation. Um, you know, if, if by the time school starts, hospital capacity is, you know, not concerning and all of that, we may be recommending more um, leniency when it comes to school. Again, we want our kids to have normal lives and not live in fear of, of getting sick and, and all of that. Um, I think there are great practices that we're learning that's going to help with all kinds of things, including RSV and flu and all of the other things that we see that happen in the fall and winter months. Um, so there are definitely, I think, the cleaning practices and the hand hygiene and all of that that are great things anyway. Um, again, you know, 
our concern is that that we can meet the needs of the healthcare system, and um, like I said, we'll know more about that in the in the coming weeks. Um, and we have to be flexible to understand, um, you know, to meet the needs of of both the healthcare and the economic community, and be willing to make recommendations based on where we are at that point. We'll use science and data. Uh, and current situations to help guide our uh, our recommendations. Uh, we're we're hopeful um, that uh, things will be able to reopen with some adjustments, like masks. Um, and and it may be that we need some further adjustments. Uh, it may be that this fizzles out and we don't need as much. Um, and you know we're going to watch that as we go forward. Uh, I know Pitt State is active in um, their planning for the return of students. Uh, we know that the local school districts are as well, based on the calls that we're getting and have. Um, there's going to be some differences, though, when we go back to school, I think. Um, you know, it, it may be that we do need to mask for a while. Uh, interesting, as she mentioned, RSV and flu, um, the statewide uh, stay-at-home order effectively ended the flu season this year completely. We went from uh, everyday flu cases to within a week, maybe two, no more flu uh, because we stopped the transmission, because we stopped the movement. Um, and so... Uh, 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 it, it helped us in one respect because it wasn't a complicator, uh, but it did show us that it's an effective measure against viral transmission. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the things about, it's, it's one of those things that I think probably will be hotly debated for, for a long time as far as should we have stayed closed longer or, or those sorts of things, whether that's in Kansas or other states. I think, um, you know, as we think about going back to school, we still do have a few weeks of summer and people are thinking, oh, well, I, you know, every summer I get, I want to go to Alabama or Florida, let's say, for instance, or on the <laughs> list of places you shouldn't go. Um, and I think there is that thing of, of this kind of a, sort of loops back around to this notion of taking care of each other and making those smart and, and uh, pragmatic and, and uh, good decisions. But is that, you know, uh, there are states every day that are sometimes every, every once in a while we'll see states that are added on to the list for Kansas that we shouldn't go to. So uh, I want to make sure everybody knows what those are, because I think that's a really important piece of this. And I think we almost kind of glossed over that. But but as of today, it's South Carolina, Florida, Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, because I, I think those are the five. And uh, international travel. International and travel. And cru oh, yeah, cruises. Um, <laughs> It's hard for me to imagine anybody wanting to be on a cruise right now, to be honest. I would not want to be on a ship for ever. <laughs> well, I, but uh, I, I think that as we think about ramping back up for school and we think about the, the next six weeks, we might also want to think about encouraging some staycations um, for folks and maybe uh, limit that too. So, but And that's a tough thing. I think we all recognize that there, we, we grew so accustomed to being able to do the things we want to do when we want to do them. Uh, and we're so fortunate in, in, in the United States to have that, those, those abilities that other folks sometimes don't. But this is one of those times where it seems like um, we, need to be, we need to be focused on taking care of each other. So, um, but I know, I know, as you said, we're in the midst of active planning at the university for reopen. We have every intention 
to be to have students back on our campus August 17th. I know in talking to uh, Dr. Prophet and Dr. Hansen at the at, at USD 250 at PHS, you know that they have that intention too. I think we also do all have to rec- recognize that, uh, as you mentioned, this thing is ever changing. We have to we have to be able to uh, is it, uh, adapt and overcome. Is that what you said, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think cool it's just, all my army friends out there. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, this is I think maybe it's like some some interesting like mass training uh, for all of the population on adapt and overcome, and, and if we can can make that happen. So uh, I, I'm hoping we can, you know, um, uh, I know people are concerned about sports. I mean, that's the other piece. It's not just, obviously not just returning to classroom, uh, but it's returning to sports. And, and uh, you know, I'll say every morning when my son, who's 15, he's going to be a freshman this year, uh, he gets up and he's been going to weights. But I will say like every morning I do that and, I, and I'll drive him there. I think to myself, should we be driving him to weights right now? Uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only parent concerned about that so i got an eighth grader same sure same deal yeah so so what are you guys where are you guys feeling as, as, as when you look at that sort of whether it's weights this summer or is he I, I you probably definitely don't want to touch the third rail whether we're not gonna have football but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh but i mean what are your sense uh, i guess as as parents and as doctors and as public health officials like what are you thinking when you think about, you said you have an eighth grader you're taking to weights. I mean, how are you uh, analyzing that? Uh, you know, actually, I, I stopped and talked with the coaches uh, about the safety measures that they were putting in place um, while the kids were in weight training um, to get a better understanding, better handle on how that was going each day. And, um, you know, basically did my own, risk assessment on it. Um, and, and, you know, and they are, you know, social distancing, cleaning the weights. They are, you know, managing the kids in controlled areas. Uh, they are not doing some of uh, the weight trainings that have higher risk of contact based on, you know, like bench pressing where they're having to lay on the bench and everybody's sweating and, you know, um, so they're, they're trying to manage that way. And they're doing, you know, we added, frequent hand sanitizer between, between, uh, rotations, uh, to help offset that. I think, I think there's a way that we can still live life, but we have to look at the risk and try to mitigate those in, in all of these scenarios. Um, sports can be a challenge though, especially close contact sports. And that's, I know. I I agree, and we don't have the right answer. We don't we don't know yet. Um, there there's still so much to learn and and know what will happen. You know, again, trying to find a balance and people going into things knowing that there there could be risk and. Um, you know, fortunately, the high schoolers and middle schoolers who are involved in sports again typically have more mild cases. Um, so if they, they were to get it, likely they would recover just fine. But also knowing that, you know, they may have a chance of, of getting it and spreading it. And so being very cognizant to take precautions when they are in other public settings or visiting grandparents and those kind of things. Um, you know, I really do think if we could put some common sense um, factor into it and and we can find a balance between being able to do the things that we're used to doing and still protecting each other. 
and, and a realistic understanding and belief that this is here, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so we have the appropriate regard for the disease in everybody. Yeah, and, the, and that those are the, that are most vulnerable also take pro proper precautions, and that may be staying at home sometimes and not necessarily going into a situation that may put them at risk. Yeah, and and I think something you said earlier too is something <clears throat> we're all trying to juggle with, which is the um, the number of hospitalizations and the the number of severe cases. Because I think, and I think one of the things just from just from a, a citizen, just from a normal person's point of view, it seems like it's and we kind of touched on this earlier, but this idea of you know when the fall comes, if if number of cases goes up it's not necessarily a, a cause for panic. It doesn't necessarily mean we have to shut down schools and the university again, um, just based on the number of cases. It's more about the, the how's the strain on the healthcare system and how severe are the cases. I, I, Cause I think that's one of the things <clears throat> that I worry about. And even personally in my job as the social media director at the university, you know, if, if, something happens and bringing students back leads to an increase in cases, you know, we have the actual problem and then we have a tremendous PR problem where people start panicking. Um, and so I think I just wanted to, I maybe just repeating something you said, but it feels like even if the fall brings an increase in cases, it's not necessarily automatically a need to, to panic and reverse course. Well, I think that's part of the advantage of having Dr. Stebbins and I in this role is because um, we are constantly involved in um, not just the number of cases, but how is it impacting our organizations and how is it impacting healthcare, and can make recommendations based on that and not just um, part of the information. Yeah, we're actually living in the environments that's impacting. Right. Yeah, that's a huge advantage. I mean, I think it's a huge advantage for us in our county to have you guys in those roles while you're also still practitioners in the two, um, I guess, be the two largest um, clinic and or hospital situations in the county uh, between Community Health Center and, and um, via, Ascension Via Christi. My wife works at uh, Ascension Via Christi, and I always have to remind myself to say Ascension Via Christi. But yeah, I know it's it, well, and of course, I still, I, since I grew up around this area, I still think of it as Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's trying to like can constantly train yourself to to think in those mm -hmm. ways. But um, um, yeah, and, and also with the Community Health Center not only being in Crawford County. Uh, but being throughout Southeast Kansas, you also, Dr. Bean, I mean, you're getting, uh, I guess, a sense as to even more broadly beyond Crawford County. Uh, that's, and that's greatly beneficial to us overall, her ability, I'm speaking for you, yeah, I no. doing that, but the, her ability to have uh, uh, contact with multiple counties daily with that data at her fingertips, that's, that's brought a, a great um, set of data to us to help us make decisions as well. Well, and I think too, for perspective, you know, because we are in so many different counties, some of some of our counties are hardly touched at all by this. And I don't think that you can make decisions for every county based on a few. And, um, you know, so that that's a perspective that I think is important too. What are you seeing in, in throughout the rest of Southeast Kansas right now? 
Um, well, prior to the beginning of all of this at the beginning of June, we hadn't had a case um, tested through community health since April 11th. Um, and so we really had not, even though we've had ongoing testing at all of our locations in Southeast Kansas, um, you know, we had, we had not been seeing much at all. Um, since then, certainly much more of an increase, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, um, Crawford County, Cherokee County, and Bourbon County, a little bit more, not, not to the extent that we have had in Crawford County, but, and that is a service area for Via Christi and Girard um, hospitals. And so those, those are important for us to know what's going on in those, those communities as well. Um, many of our other communities still really very few cases. Yeah, I know that we also, if you look across the state line, because we're, we're uniquely situated, obviously, here in southeast Kansas, that we're, we're right next to three other states, essentially. Uh, and I, I know there for uh, a couple of weeks, and I just looked up before we started today's uh, uh, discussion, uh, it looks like we've dropped on here, but there was that, um, oh, is it the Dartmouth Atlas project that does the mapping of the COVID, where the, where the hot spots are? The Joplin region, which according to their map included us was number one there for like two mm -hmm. weeks at growth per hundred thousand. Uh, but, but also Northwest Arkansas as of this week is number five in growth. So um, we're kind of right there in the midst of, of kind of a number of different hotspots across those state borders, which is additional challenge. I would think uh, as you're thinking about how to manage Crawford County's response, but also as physicians in dealing with uh, patients. Yeah. Both of us, uh, so Ascension Via Christi, um, their catchment area, it's not just Crawford County. Uh, and this goes for Girard as well. Um, you know, we, we include the population of, uh, of Crawford, Cherokee, and Bourbon County, as well as Barton, uh, Northwest uh, Jasper County, uh, and then further west as well. And so, you know, it's not just the 40,000 that's here. It's more like 75,000 and probably about 90,000 um, that we serve. Uh, your guys' catchment area would be even greater. I mean, 11 counties. 11, wow. Um, you know, the other thing, it, when we look at the numbers um, for positive cases for Crawford County, those are for the people that are reside in Crawford County, that's where they live. But, um, and that's kind of where having the perspective of our testing through community health and, and some of the other entities, because there are a number of people that work in Crawford County, but live in Jasper County or Barton County and other counties, but are coming and going regularly out of Crawford County. And so um, having that perspective also can help guide decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think, uh, I feel like, Sean, we've reached the end of our questions. Is there anything yeah. else to touch on? Or any, uh, any good news you guys want to share? Just any, any random thoughts <laughs> on literally anything else? <laughs> um, I, I guess I did want to finish up with uh, just, we, we do have a, a note to, uh, wanted to ask you, just generally, uh, not even into the fall, just generally, we talk a lot about living with this. And I guess just maybe elaborate a little bit more on what do we mean by that? And when we, when we say live with it, um, what are we telling people? Well, you know, I think, um, I mean, we know that we have the virus in our community. Um, we are still learning what that impact is going to be. Um, 
But again, finding a balance between doing the things that we need to be able to do, like work, being able to do the things we enjoy doing, um, our extracurricular activities and our family time and, and our, you know, church activities and all of those kind of things, um, but doing it in a safe way. And, you know, so again, if there's small measures that we can put into place that will allow us to continue to live our life, um, but yet minimize the impact of illness, then I think it's worth it. We should embrace those. And it's, you know, it goes back to the big three. Um, you know, the, the mask, um, hand washing or hand sanitizing uh, and social distancing. Uh, we have both been able to spend time with our families uh, recently, you know, uh, we, uh, camping, um, you know, separate times, but uh, the, you know, you can still do those things. You can still live life. Uh, we just have to embrace some of the, the minimal things that we need to do to do that safely so we can do it next year and next year and the next year. Um, and, you know, over time, I think there will be, you know, we'll have success in vaccine. We'll have success in understanding this disease process more um, and being able to mitigate it better. Uh, this is a time for now. Um, and, and, you know, embrace those things. Let's do those things. Let's just get this done so we can we can move past this to a, another better time. So, silver lining, so, uh, embracing the outdoors again, you know, get outside. Right. Right. get outside and hike and camp and do those sorts of things um uh that's uh that maybe a lot of things we don't do um you mentioned the vaccine so the one thing i want to say do ask you before we uh before we close up here is um do either of you have any prognosis or sense on on where we are on vaccine development realistically it's it's currently being evaluated uh neither one of us are are uh, immunologists um <laughs> Although it'd be a good time to be one. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, the, it, you know, it, those take time. They take time to be successful. Uh, they take time to, to develop. Um, and uh, the challenges with viruses is they, they change over time. Um, and so uh, they're I believe that they're working very hard to figure that out, in my opinion. Um, and I, I still have hope that next year we will have uh, an adequate vaccine um, to, that would benefit us, um, much like the flu vaccine. We just we got to learn about it a little bit more um, and, and do this right. You do not you do not want to rush into a vaccine. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. You definitely don't want to be injected with something that hasn't been <laughs> thoroughly vetted, right? I mean, that's, yeah. none of us want that. I, and I think that you know, a lot of times this debate ends up that people say, "Oh, well, we should well, herd immunity though instead of vaccine." But the the problem with the herd immunity side of things is that it's very difficult. It would be very difficult for us to get to my understanding is to herd immunity, which probably is sixty to seventy percent of the population right. have had it without completely overwhelming. The healthcare system. right and a lot of deaths along the way yeah, it's, yeah uh, those two. yeah, I, yeah I, some of this i i, I listen a lot to uh michael osterholm uh and uh it's interesting that i now know the name of the epidemiologist you know that it's like <laughs> this is what this is what a pandemic does to you they become like the the immunologists and epidemiologists become like the rock stars but the the sense that it could be 
millions of deaths in a short amount of time, plus uh, essentially eclipse the hospital system completely. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's where a lot of, it's a challenge a lot of times because people say, well, let's just go ahead and get it over with and just get it. But it's not that easy. Um, and it's not just deaths from COVID-19. It's deaths from heart attack, from stroke, from diabetes, from pneumonia, from sepsis. Uh, all of those are impacted as well, because if you have an overwhelmed uh, medical system, you can't care adequately for those others. And then they die too. Right. And so they're kind of, uh, uh, well, they're, they're, they're side impacts uh, of the disease that they're not dying of the disease, but they're dying because of the disease. Yeah. Well, this, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Brett. I was going to say, this may be a silly question, but I'm curious. I, I assume this is the trickiest thing you guys have had to deal with in your careers. Uh, is, is there anything that comes close? Is there anything you look back on and, and say, well, this is bad, but something, this particular thing before was, it was close. Or is this just so far beyond anything else? Um, well, I, you know, I can't say in my career we've had anything that's been this, probably this impactful. Um, and so much unknown, you know, especially early on, it was like every other day, you know, different recommendations coming out and adding to and, and, and just very impactful on our community and our organization. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't say that I've yeah, experienced H1N1, that. the pandemic in what was it, 2009, 10, uh, from the emergency medicine standpoint had some impact, but really when you look at the community and global impact, I, there's nothing that I've been through that is, uh, has had a greater impact and in how I work and think. Yes, yeah, it has been essentially the last major pandemic, right? So this is uh, since the influenza pandemic. So I think uh, it's one of the challenges that there's none of us that remember that. And, uh, and so, although there's things we can learn from history on that, but uh, this is, it seems like we're all in uncharted territory right now. But uh, We have great advantages now that they didn't have then. It, sure. it, this meeting right? Yeah. Um, the, ability, the ability to get out information, uh, to talk still openly and, and um, have, you know, conversation and, and get that voice out. We couldn't do that in 1918. Um, and so having these platforms really uh, super beneficial for us at this time. Definitely. So, you know, I, I, we're, I think, um, I, I hope that this has been an opportunity, as you're saying, for, for, for us to communicate with our community. Uh, hopefully they have as much confidence as, as I, Brett and I have uh, in the two of you and uh, the role that you guys are serving. And, and uh, I think uh, on behalf of uh, all of us in Crawford County, I want to say thank you for your willingness to do that because it's no easy task. And, and um, But like I said, we have a lot of confidence uh, in the two of you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Hopefully it's well placed. Yeah. Well, and thank you. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciate your time and, and your expertise. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you All for right. having us. Yep. Thank you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the weekend. Mm -hmm. You too. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye.